0: Uh, shatter those mental restrictions that we often have in our brains where we say to ourselves well you know i can only go so high and no more that's just where i am and i think walt would say uh stop thinking that way uh shatter those mental restrictions because there's no limit to what you can do in your life there's no limit to where you can go
1: Welcome to the Add Valued Entrepreneur's Podcast, where we're on a mission to end entrepreneurial unhappiness. If you're an entrepreneur with a burning desire to change the world, this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform your life and business so that you can achieve the freedom and fulfillment you crave. This show is dedicated to entrepreneurs who want more out of their life, more meaning, more purpose, and ultimately, more happiness. You deserve it all and it's possible. I'm your host, Robert Peterson, pastor turned life coach for business owners. I believe that success without happiness is not true success at all, but there's always hope for those who are willing to take action. Join us every week as we bring you inspiring leaders and messages that will help you on your journey towards success. Thank you for investing your time with us today. Let's get started. Today's guest is a basketball hall of famer known for co founding the NBA's Orlando Magic, as well as serving as a general manager for the Philadelphia 76ers, Chicago Bulls, Atlanta Hawks, and the Orlando Magic. He's also one of America's top motivational, inspirational, and humorous speakers. Pat Williams and his wife Ruth parented 19 children. Pat is a cancer survivor and the author of over 130 books. Pat Williams joins Robert on the show and talks about writing and researching some of his biggest heroes, starting with how to be like Mike, how to be like Walt, and even how to be like Jesus. Pat loves interviewing family and friends and learning about people and shares what he learns in his books. He is famous for basketball, but has a love for baseball and wants to bring the major leagues to Orlando with the Orlando Dreamers. Well, Pat, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have this conversation and just uh, been looking forward to to chatting with you.
0: Thank you, Robert. Nice to meet you and uh, look forward to our visit as well.
1: So my first experience with, with your work is your book, How to Be Like Walt. And I, I just have to say it's one of my favorite <laughs> business books and stories. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in in creating that?
0: Well, I moved to Orlando uh, 37 years ago. Uh, I had been the general manager of the 76ers for 12 years and uh, picked up and moved here with the idea, the mission of trying to bring an expansion basketball team to Orlando. And we we were were successful in doing that, the Orlando Magic. But something else happened to me in addition to that whole basketball dream. I got Disney-ized. It's easy to do here. And I became particularly fascinated with Walt Disney himself. He had passed away, of course, at that point, but I uh, began to run into former Disney executives who had worked with him back in California, and I was always eager to pick their brain about Walt. I just wanted to learn all I could about him. I I wrote a book initially uh, about Walt Disney's Five Secrets of Success. Go for the Magic was the name of that, but I wanted to dig deeper. And uh, that's how this book came about, How to Be Like Walt. It was part of a series that I did with the Chicken Soup for the Soul Publishers. Uh, We did about nine of those How to Be Like books. But I dug into all things Disney. I I was able to track down uh, just about every living uh, Disney legend. And I'm so glad we did it when we did, because they're all gone now. I think with the exception of one, Bob Gurr, I think everybody else is gone. So the timing could not have been better on that. And uh, we, 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 I wanted to just find out from all these people who knew Walt or worked with him or understood him, you know, what, what was it about Walt Disney? What, was, uh, what made him unique? What made him special? Uh, what can we all learn from Walt? And so that was the... Background of the book, Robert. It came out uh, um, quite a number of years ago. Now it's it's still in print, as far as I can determine, and uh, I still hear from people who who got some real meaning from from that book and learned a lot about Walt Disney's life lessons for all of us.
1: So, so you researched and did did all the interviews to to pull those that that those stories together. That's that's incredible.
0: I did. And it was, a, it was an absolute treat to track down uh, all of those people that knew Walt and worked with him and uh, get get a good story from them or an anecdote, something uh, that uh, maybe we hadn't heard before. I don't think we'll ever mind the depths of Walt Disney fully, uh, but uh, I think up to that point, that was about as uh, as deep as we could dive into his life and uh it was a it was a joy to do the research and uh, uh great to uh to write it and then i think uh promoted after that and and the book is still out there it's i still hear from people who have read it and got some meaning from that book and i'm I'm glad that we could uh, bring walter alive like that
1: yeah i really i really like I said i i read it i've read it uh multiple times because i like to read it over just because for me, it's it's inspirational. Um, I guess for me, I get I get so caught up in the dated the the practical things of operating a business that it's hard to tap into the imagination side. And I think that's an area where Walt just lived and thrived. And so, being able to use your book and your stories to 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 tap into my own imagination um, is powerful.
0: Well, that, but Robert, that was one of his lessons uh, that he taught all of us. Free up your imagination. Uh, shatter those mental restrictions that we often have in our brains, where we say to ourselves, well, you know, I can only go so high and no more. That's just where I am. And I think Walt would say, uh, stop thinking that way. Uh, shatter those mental restrictions because there's no limit to what you can do in your life. There's no limit to where you can go. Uh, no limit to what you can accomplish if you just have a freed up uh, outlook to, towards life. And that was, that was one of his great secrets, free up your imagination. And so I encourage people to follow Walt's advice on that. And uh, it's amazing what we can do if we don't limit ourselves.
1: Hmm, absolutely. So what, what's your favorite Walt story?
0: Probably uh, many, many years later, after the book came out, uh, we got word that uh, the Walt Disney Family Museum was going to open outside of San Francisco, and I got an invitation to go. And it was a long trip across the country, but I felt I needed to be there. Walt Disney's daughter, Diane Disney Miller, had been the architect of this museum. And in putting the book together, she had been so helpful to me. She talked to me about her father. Uh, She put me in touch with all of her children so that I could talk with them about Walt and uh, Lillian Disney as grandparents. And I was able to get that done. So anyway, I got out to the museum and it was uh, wonderful to go through all of that. They had a nice dinner afterwards, uh, the tour. And uh, I went over, I saw Diane Disney Miller. Uh, I, uh, she's a, a dead ringer for her dad. You couldn't miss her. I've been more gracious. And then she said, uh, where where are you sitting for dinner? I said, well, no particular thing. She said, "Uh, you'll sit here with our family. And she invited me to to join uh, (laughs) at dinner uh, with her and her family at at their table. Uh, What a a thrill that was to be sitting there with Diane Disney Miller and Ron Miller, her husband, and uh, the Disney children. It was a very special moment, I thought, felt. And uh, I was saddened when her life ended with an accident, and now Ron Miller has passed away, and, uh, but uh, I, I never will forget how kind she was to
1: me. Well, and it just shows the legacy, right? Not just, not just his legacy in business and uh, obviously the Disney Enterprise and the impact that has, but it's good to see that his family legacy matches what he's created in, in the business world.
0: Well, his his grandchildren were sharp as could be. Uh, Diane Disney had a had a big family. And uh, I must have talked to five or six of of those children, those grandkids, and they were all just uh, extremely articulate and uh, bright, engaging. uh, And we got a lot of their stuff into the book. Uh, So I I was I was impressed with the whole Disney clan from uh, from top to bottom.
1: Nice. So obviously, working with the Orlando Magic and and bringing the Orlando Magic, you know, trying to get the Orlando Magic started. I assume you worked with Rich DeVos for helping to get that started.
0: Well, actually, Robert, he came a little bit later. Uh, okay. I was brought here to Orlando in 1986 by the original um, Magic ownership group. Uh, the head of that was a fellow named Jimmy Hewitt. And he brought me here. And then we had a couple of years to get ready, three actually, before we ever played. And uh, then uh, we played two, the first two seasons. In the meantime, we were trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando back then. This was 1991. And uh, we needed an owner. And I was introduced uh, through a mutual friend to go up to Grand Rapids, Michigan. and I, And I met with Rich DeVos. Uh, told him about our baseball efforts, and uh, asked him if he would consider being the owner, and he agreed to do that. And uh, we we went through that process, uh, did not get the baseball team in that go-around. They went to Miami. Uh, but Rich and his family felt very welcomed in Orlando. They they felt very comfortable uh, through that, that season. This would be the 1991 season, and he, he felt very warmly received. And so, uh, in the summer of uh, 91, when the Magic came on the market, the original owners decided to sell. Uh, Rich DeVos and his family were first in line. And they, they bought the Magic for uh, $85 million. Uh, today, uh, all NBA teams are probably worth at least 2 billion or more. Um, and, and rich, um, really became part of Orlando. He, uh, his family, uh, his grandchildren, uh, they've owned the team ever since, even though rich and Helen have passed away. Uh, but they, I think it's become a family heirloom. Uh, we could, we could do a whole show just talking about rich DeVos and, uh, the significance of his life, but that that's briefly how he got involved here in Orlando.
1: Well, so I definitely want to come back to Rich, but I want to touch on we've we've rescheduled this podcast because you're still working to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando now in 2023. So 30 years later, this is still this is there's still an effort for this to happen.
0: Well, it, it we started originally in 1991. They uh, they decided to go to Miami. Then in the mid 90s, we tried again. And that's the that's when they went to Tampa Bay with expansion. And now, uh, baseball is going to expand again at some point. They told and said they're going to add two more teams. they like to get to 32 teams. And I think that's where it'll be forever. And we're back in the hunt again. Uh, we just feel Orlando has some special qualities. It's the 17th largest media market now in uh, North America. Uh, in the next few years, uh, we're going to catch Denver. Uh, then soon after we'll catch Detroit and then eventually catch Minneapolis St. Paul, it's just, uh, it's just got that kind of a market. It's just growing so dramatically. And I think ready to be an excellent major league baseball city. So we're working hard at it, uh, doing all we can right now to lay the groundwork. We got to get a ballpark funded. We got to get it built. Eventually got to find the right owner. Uh, We've got the marketplace and uh, we've got a lot of pluses and uh, we're trying to get all this done and uh, uh, turn this city into a major league baseball city as well.
1: Nice. So it's interesting to me because you spent 12 years as a GM for the 76ers and then obviously your role in founding the Orlando Magic and bringing them So these NBA roots. But you've been involved in Major League Baseball trying since the 90s as well.
0: Well, my roots are in baseball, actually. I, I went to Wake Forest uh, as a catcher, played baseball there for four years. And then uh, in June of 1962, I, I signed with the Phillies. I was a minor league catcher for two seasons with them, uh, the 62 and 63 summers. And then that led to uh, years in the front office in the Phillies farm system, Miami, and then Spartanburg, South Carolina. And that's where my career path was headed, but it it changed very dramatically with one phone call uh, when Dr. Jack Ramsey uh, of the 76ers wanted to hire me and bring me to Philadelphia from Spartanburg as the business manager of the 76ers. Uh, It was a different sport uh, it came out of nowhere, but it was the first opportunity, really, I'd had in a major league sport in a major league city. And at age 28, I, I made that jump. And that started a 51-year career in the NBA. But I've, I've never lost my interest in baseball. I've always followed it very closely, um, read about it uh, consistently. Uh, it's, it's always been a big part of my life. And uh, and we have this big goal now of, of, of bringing Major League Baseball to Orlando. We'll see how it works. Uh, we feel that we're far better equipped this go round. Uh, much bigger city, much more mature city. We have we've had a history in pro sports at this point, point. and uh, we're uh, we're eager to uh, see if we can pull this off.
1: Hmm. That's that's pretty. So what? Obviously, your connection to pro pro sports now having you know basically your entire professional career mostly as a you know in the back office and making these things happen how do you see the value the connection between professional sports and and the city that they occupy i think
0: two things really uh, provide spirit and spunk to any city, and that's those, those are big league sports, major league sports, and the arts. I think those are the two features that really give a city personality and, uh, and give people a, a reason to visit. And so uh, if you count uh, Mickey Mouse and Shamu <laughs> as, as the arts, uh, we've got a lot more of the arts in this area. We now have Major League, uh, uh, the NBA, Major League Basketball, and we have an MS, MLS team, Major League Soccer team. And, uh, but, but until you get baseball, you're not really considered uh, a big league city. Uh, baseball is, the one, is what sets you apart. And so that's why we're so determined to try and do this. And um, we feel very confident that we can make it happen, uh, that uh, baseball will be very successful here. So keep an eye on us, Robert. Uh, we're, uh, we're determined to try and uh, pull this off. We'll see the timing. We don't know exactly what baseball's timing is. Uh, but the one thing we do know is that they want to add two teams, get to 32 teams uh i think they would want to i think their plan is to break it down more geographically rather than leagues uh eight uh, eight divisions of, of four something like that and uh we we think that will be quite interesting but uh we we definitely want to be part of that
1: nice all right so obviously a great deal of professional interest in in professional sports and obviously you know working as a gm is is, is quite a, a busy occupation in itself. And yet, you've written a significant number of books. What, what led you to write your first book? And, and then, of course, what's driven you to continue uh, writing books?
0: Well, Robert, uh, you've got to have to write a book, you've got to have a topic that is just absolutely burning up inside of you and and, and uh, desperate to get out. Uh, I think that's the best way to describe it. Uh, my first book, however, I was not desperate to write a book. I hadn't even thought about it, but a young writer in Chicago named Jerry Jenkins uh, sought me out and, and suggested that we write my life story. Now, at that point, I was 32 years old. There wasn't much of a life story, but... <laughs> He was adamant about it. He got a publisher and uh, and that book came about. It came out in the fall of 1974. And uh, there were a few other ideas. Uh, after the Sixers 83 title run and we won the title, we wrote a book about that uh, marvelous season, uh, wrote a marriage book, wrote a book of uh, one-line humor somewhere in there. But It really didn't start to explode until I got down here to Orlando and uh, wrote a book about Walt Disney and wrote another book about uh, leadership, another book about the magic of teamwork, uh, one thing after the other. And the next thing you know, uh, it really began to move uh, very, very fast. Ideas came, publishers contacted me, and I began to really take this seriously and uh began to seek out different ideas that might might have potential for books and uh over these last um almost 50 years now uh, they keep rolling uh, There's there's still more ideas in the pipeline uh, I, I think i'm at the 131 mark now with books written and we got a few more coming so uh, we'll see where it all leads. But uh, you've got to have a topic that is just burning within. Then you've got to find a publisher. That's the other key point. And um, then you've got to figure out uh, how do you outline it and how do you write it and uh, all all of the above. It's not an easy process, but uh, once the the book bug bites, I've noticed that uh, it bites pretty hard and, and you want to keep going.
1: Well, obviously, if you've written 131 books, the, bu- the bug bit you pretty hard.
0: <laughs> That's true. And uh, we'll see where it leads. Um, people ask me what I write about. Well, I, I, I write about success. I write about uh, leadership. I write about teamwork. I, uh, uh, I've written some biographies. I've written... Um, faith-based books as well uh so it's it's kind of a, a wide field that i've i've taken on over the years
1: yeah i mean absolutely i think to write 131 you you'd have to be pretty pretty wide open so you mentioned that, that uh to be like walt was part of a series um was there another favorite in there besides be like walt
0: well, the first one I did uh, that came out long many years ago was How to Be Like Mike. Uh, it was about Michael Jordan, and uh, I, I dove deeply into his life. Then um, we did a book called How to Be Like Jesus. Uh, that was fascinating. Uh, there weren't any of the original disciples around to interview, but uh, <laughs> we, uh, we, we put that together. And then the publisher wanted this Rich DeVos book. Uh, How to Be Like Rich DeVos, uh, the co-founder of the Amway organization, a remarkable man. And we did that book.
1: We will be right back after this short break. Are you an entrepreneur who started their business with purpose and passion, only to lose sight of it amidst the daily grind? We understand how frustrating that can be. That's why we're offering free strategy calls to help you gain clarity on the barriers holding you back from achieving your dreams. In just 30 minutes, our experienced coaches will work with you to identify obstacles and develop strategies for overcoming them. There's no commitment or pressure, just a chance to get some assistance and clarity you need. Scheduling is easy. Simply visit smilingcall.com and select a time that works for you. Let's jump on a call and build your business together. It's time for you to add value and achieve your full potential as an entrepreneur. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness.
0: then uh came walt disney i wanted to definitely wanted to do how to be like walt knew it was a big undertaking then the other one i wanted to do was uh, coach john wooden uh how to be like coach Uh, then the other one i wanted to do was how to be like jackie robinson now that was another fascinating project then we did a few more after that but uh uh, i was very very grateful to the publisher, HCI, Health Communications. They were the chicken soup for the sole publishers. And uh, we we had a wonderful time putting those books together. They're, they're still out there in many forms. I, I still hear from people. And I'm, I'm glad that that series, you know, uh, had, a, had a good impact on people.
1: Well, you just added six more books to my list. So I'm going to have to get at least all six of those. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, so Go i guess my for me jackie robinson sounded the most interesting besides jesus i i have a strong connection to to jesus but how how to be like jackie and and that how how did you research that story and and share a little bit about the insights that you learned from writing that book
0: well i started with his widow uh, rachel robinson who just turned 100, by the way, but this would be back some years. And uh, I was able to make contact with her. Uh, She gave me her blessing uh, on that book. And then it was a matter of tracking down as many people in and out of baseball who, who I could get a hold of, who had a thought or a story, a memory, an anecdote about Jackie, and that was fascinating. And unfortunately, there were still a good many of the old Dodgers still living, uh, who I was able to reach, and uh, many, many of the opponents uh, of Jackie during those years that he was in the big leagues. And then uh, on beyond that, uh, so I, I did hundreds of interviews actually uh, on that book, hundreds of people that I could track down and get an observation and get a thought. And um, I, as I was doing all this, I couldn't help but be uh, just overwhelmed, really, by the courage of the man. You know, breaking the color line in 1946, originally in the Dodger farm system, and, and then up to the big leagues, uh, his benefactor, Branch Rickey, the, the president of the Dodgers, had told him uh, in doing this, that, uh, Jackie for two seasons, uh, was going to have to turn the other cheek. He, he was not going to be able to fight back. Uh, he, he was going to have to turn away no matter what was said to him or done to him. Um, Mr. Ricky made it very clear, Jackie, if, if, uh, you go off, uh, in a wild outpouring here, you know, it's you know, the whole thing's going to collapse uh and this experiment is not going to work and you've got to promise me jackie that you will not fight back and and jackie made this statement he said mr ricky you mean you're looking for a ball player uh who, who's who's afraid to fight back and
1: mm-hmm. ricky
0: said no 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 Jackie. I'm looking for a ball player with the courage not to fight back and then there was a long pause in that meeting a long pause and uh and jackie finally piped up and said uh, uh, Mr. Ricky, I will uh, abide by what you want. I will. I will not fight back for two seasons. That was the deal. And uh, I'm not sure Jackie realized at that point what it was going to be like. But it was. It certainly wasn't easy. Uh, the things that were said to him, the things that were done to him on the field. It was. It was very, very tough. For particularly for such an intense, competitive athlete as Jackie Robinson, he was a fighter. And that was that was his makeup, but for two seasons he, he knew he had to honor what Mr. Ricky had asked him and told him. And then after those two seasons, this would now be 1949. Ricky said, uh, "Jackie, the the um, the limits are off. Uh, go go be yourself." And uh, now Jackie uh, could argue with umpires and and he didn't have to put up with any nonsense that was said to him. He uh, he, he was given uh, a full unleashing and uh, it, it, it's quite a story, it's a remarkable story. The more, so I encourage people to read about Jackie and study him, he's an important American, uh, played a, a, a very important role in this country and it's important to know about him.
1: Absolutely, I, I think the more the more we can study uh, for me, it's still heartbreaking to look back and, and see the way that human beings have treated human beings in, in our own country, within our you know, lifetimes even, and, and the things that, oh, this shouldn't, this shouldn't be true here. <laughs> These things well, shouldn't have happened. I,
0: there were times in writing that book, as, as I put some of those stories in place, I found myself uh, choking up and weeping. Uh, and, and, and my thinking was, how, how could we be so mean to people? How could we be so cruel to, to fellow human beings? It really, it, it, it was a very emotional experience writing that book. Uh, weaving all so many stories through there that I picked up. And uh, particularly from the old ballplayers uh, who were there with him and, um, and, and saw what he took. And how he dealt with it. I was um, I was very emotionally um, whipped up by that book. So it's it's called How to Be Like Jackie. How to Be Like Jackie Robinson. And I think uh, uh, far far beyond baseball fans, I, I think it's an important book for anybody who studies American history.
1: Absolutely. So the advantage of writing a book like How to Be Like Rich is. You were able to meet Rich and be involved in not just his personal life but his business life, and so I'd, I'd love for you to share a little bit about Rich because I I, I love I love his faith, I love what he's the, the the testimony of his family, and and I think the testimony of his businesses, um, and so what what would you share about Rich if you were asked to 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 talk about Rich? And I know it could take up a whole show, but
0: Robert, I I came away from that book um, feeling that Rich DeVos probably uh, was the most unique businessman uh, in the history of our country, and and let me explain that. Uh, Extremely successful with his Amway company, became an extremely wealthy man, but uh, it did not really alter him. He, He was extremely generous in his giving. He um, he was extremely loyal to his hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. He and his partner, Jay Van Andel, were so giving to that community uh, of Grand Rapids. He didn't turn his back on his hometown. His children, his four children, all turned out well, as well as uh, a, a slew of grandchildren who have all, all turned out well. Uh, that doesn't always happen. And uh, he never wavered with his faith. Uh, He he grew up in a Christian home in Grand Rapids. His faith was always real to him. But there's a tendency as you become prominent and famous and quoted, you know, you begin to hide that faith. He never did. Uh, He was very open about his faith, Not, not in an uncomfortable or obnoxious way. Uh, or a haughty manner, but he just was very comfortable uh, talking about his faith. Uh, you know, I've i I've, I've, I've heard him and seen him introduced many times at big events, and the introducer would rave about him and go on and on and on, and and Rich would just stand up and said, uh, I, I, "I I'm I'm Rich DeVos, just just a sinner saved by grace." Amen. And that's how, that's how he would respond <laughs> to these introductions. Just, just a sinner saved by grace. And uh, he, he was a lovely man, lovely man. And, and uh, but, but as you really study his life, uh, I came away thinking, I don't think we've ever had a businessman like him uh, who, who, who stayed consistent, didn't go off the deep end, had a, had a solid marriage. Uh, his children turned out well. he was a great father a uh, terrific grandfather. Um, I've never heard anybody say anything but kind things about him. Uh, I, I just came away uh, absolutely convinced that uh, we haven't any, haven't seen in the business world anybody quite like him.
1: So, how is he as a as a a basketball basketball team owner? Because that was a new transition, right? That was a, something new that, that he brought in. It
0: was. He never owned a team. I, I don't think he was a particularly rabid basketball fan up to that point, but he became one. And that team <laughs> became part of his family. Um, he, he, uh, he, he loved those ballplayers, loved, 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 loved the magic. He, he, he just became uh, just an absolute wonderful, wonderful owner. He did not interfere. Uh, he hired the best people he could and, and let them work left them alone if after a period of time you had not been successful you you would you probably would move on but uh, he, he never you could never blame him and saying uh, he made me do this or force this or that or made me trade this no, no it never happened never happened he, he lets you do your job and rewarded you if you did well, and if you didn't, well, then you knew it was time to, to, to depart. But uh, I would I would classify him as the very best kind of owner you could find. If if you if you were running a ball club or scouting or coaching, uh, he let you do what you had to, what you thought was best. So he uh, and he became very attached to this team. Uh, to the point that his children then uh, took over. Now the, now the third generation, the um, the grandchildren are are in charge, by and large.
1: Well, I know that he loved to travel to games and he so to take it's, his it's quite a story.
0: Uh, well, he, yes, and he, he did. He, he he took friends to the game. He always liked to take him to dinner and enjoy a ball game and sit with him down uh, close to the team bench. Um, he passed away a few years ago. His wife did as well. He lived into his early nineties and um, Jess was a special man, special friend. Um, I'm so glad I got to meet him on that trip up to Grand Rapids. It was the Labor Day weekend of 1990. (laughs) And I went up there to tell him we needed an owner for this baseball effort. And he, and in a matter of minutes, he said, I'll, uh, I'll do it. Which was quite remarkable. He said, I'll, I'll do it. Tell the National League, I'll do it. And um, and it didn't work out. But uh, as I said, when the Magic were on the market, the next summer, he, he and his family were first in line.
1: Well, it's interesting how, how your conversation to bring him into baseball probably set up the connection to buying the Magic. Otherwise, that would have never never come to be and what an incredible legacy that the Orlando Magic have become.
0: Well, that's true. If he if he had not come down here and gotten uh, interested and involved in that baseball effort, no, he we wouldn't have known of him and uh, he wouldn't have known of us. That never would have happened. Uh, the club was going to be sold, but it wouldn't have been sold to to, to their family. But he had a head start uh from coming down for the baseball efforts but went to magic games and and just was treated so not warmly and he he just felt very much at home here uh he and his family both they they were just treated uh, so warmly yes and listen that happens in orlando it's the kind of community that we have here and he he just felt embraced and and wanted to be part of it when the magic uh, became uh, for sale um, but and right now, uh, the magic the, the Damas family is uh, well, this this franchise is gonna be under their ownership for many, many years. Uh, they, they, um, this next generation is enjoying what's going on and uh, they're, they're gonna be here for
1: a long time. All right, so now obviously you had 51 years in, in the NBA, so so huge connections to basketball and obviously a love for the sport developed. Tell me about writing. How to be like Mike? Obviously, right now, his story is out with the the Nike connection and Nike making those choices um, and and all the things that that happened out of a relationship with a professional basketball player and a business in in the sponsorship level that, that those that story is is gaining popularity right now. But tell me about your connection to Mike and 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 writing that story.
0: Uh, Michael retired. Uh, after his second year with the Wizards, and I had been, fa- I had really de- developed a speech uh, about Michael, uh, how to be like Mike, because he he was the most, well, you got to say he's one probably the most unique athlete of all time, uh, <laughs> colorful, interesting. There was a lot to him, and I began to try and put those pieces together in this speech I gave numbers of times, and it went over quite well. And I thought, um, this could could probably be a book. And so I tracked down the publisher, a fellow named Peter Vegso at uh, Health Communications. I I knew them from the Chicken Soup for the Soul period. And I was able to reach out to him and talk to him about this idea. And uh, took a little convincing, but uh, he agreed to do it. Uh, Gave me a $5,000 advance and uh (laughs) big money back then
1: (laughs) so the the bike book was the first
0: of this series i'd written a few other books by then but uh but he agreed to do it and i I then just went after it full bore uh i i I tried to track down everybody in basketball and beyond uh who might have played against him played with him i got to all those people media types everybody Uh, that had any sense of Michael Jordan. I was able to get to to them all the way back to his growing up in Wilmington, North Carolina. I was able to get some of his little league coaches. It was fascinating. And uh, we put that all together. I wrote it with a fellow named Michael Weinraub, a gifted wordsmith. And uh, that book came out and and, and it was in print. I, I still think, you know, you still see it in some bookstores today. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a big success, because, primarily because Michael was such a fascinating character to begin with. And this was, uh, nobody had ever written it quite from this angle. It was a motivational biography. Um, In other words, what can you take from Michael Jordan? What are the qualities you can take and and apply to your life? Uh, Michael's not a perfect human being, you know, flawed like the rest of us. But boy, there's so much to take. His commitment, his drive, his work ethic, his perseverance, his his leadership skills, Uh, so much to learn from Mike. And so that writing that book was a great treat. It was a great thrill. And uh, I was very, very pleased that uh, it did so well and uh, and and still is out there. Mike hasn't played in a long time. You know, his career ended long ago as a player, but uh, we'll never forget him. He'll always be a sports icon in this world. And uh, I, th- I think people will still enjoy that book immensely.
1: So what, what was your favorite anecdote or your favorite aspect of Mike that you like to share?
0: Well, probably it's an, it's an anecdote that I got and too late to put it in the book, (laughs) but it's probably my favorite. Uh, Michael um, was playing against uh, Utah and they had a player named Jim Les from Bradley University, LES. And uh, there was a play in the game uh, where um, Jim Les got an offensive rebound and uh, was driving down the court. Michael caught him from behind, uh, blocked the shot <clears throat> and uh, a photographer took a picture Uh, 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 I guess a year or two later, Jim had been traded. uh, But uh, he's in Chicago playing against the Bulls. In the shoot around that morning, Jim took that picture that he had, that photograph from earlier, uh, and had Michael sign it for him. Nice. Uh, So that night, amazingly enough, same play unfolds, uh, ball off the Backboard, Jim Les grabs it, heads down the court. Michael catches him from behind, uh, blocks the shot, knocks Jim Les into the photographers. And, uh, <clears throat> and Michael leans over <clears throat> and yells at him. The game's still going on. He said, uh, I'll sign that one too. Nice, <laughs> he said. I'll sign that, that one too. <laughs> and, oh boy, he he wow. uh, he always had a he always had the last word. He always uh, he he was he was a tense competitor. He he thrived on competition. Uh, he, he he didn't want to just beat you. He wanted to pummel you uh you know he wanted to whip you uh and and he uh, he loved to compete loved to win uh but but the competition really drew out the best in him nice uh, he, he thrived on that
1: all right pat so now you're working on bringing a major league baseball team to orlando but you also have another book project what's your latest book and and how can people find it
0: well uh, there <laughs> There is a book coming out that uh, I didn't really write, but it's called How to Be Like Pat Williams oh, and, and a nice. fellow named John a fellow named John Simmons wrote it. It's going to be out later this year. Uh, I've got a book on aging. It's coming out this year called Happy in the Homestretch. Uh, How to age well. And uh, we're working also on a, on a leadership book. Um, Kind of a leadership encyclopedia uh, that I've learned over the years. What are the what are the key words in in this leadership language? And we've just gotten started on that. That'll be out uh, probably a year from now. So uh, there are some still some ideas. And I've got a feeling that if um, if this baseball thing works, don't be shocked. Let me let me get this off. No worries. Do not be shocked if there's a book about uh, the birth of the Orlando Dreamers baseball team. You know, I'm I'm, Orlando
1: Dreamers because the magic's already taken.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the magic. We wanted a word that uh, is indigenous to your community. Uh, I never did understand uh, the Utah Jazz. Uh, I mean, they started in long New Orleans. Ways from the Detroit. New Orleans <laughs> they, they moved to uh, Utah and they just stayed the jazz. Well, we want we want a name that's a part of our community. We thought the magic captured that. And I think dreamers as well. Walt Disney was a dreamer. Arnold Palmer came here with big golf dreams. Uh, we had an astronaut named John Young who walked on the moon. Big space dreams. Uh, uh, I came here with big bad Basketball dreams years ago. So we think Dreamers kind of captures the people who come here and move here. <clears throat> These 80 million visitors from around the world, they come here uh, with big dreams about a vacation. So uh, <clears throat> Dreamers seem to fit uh, for, for now, the Orlando Dreamers baseball team. All right. I, I so think it's a, that, that, that's a pretty good st- ring to it. Oh, That's great. That's great. Well, Robert, I'm so happy to have met you. And Pat, um,
1: I appreciate yeah, you kidding. taking the time today to <laughs> hang out with me. We always end every episode with our guests sharing their words of wisdom. Pat, what would you share with our entrepreneurial audience?
0: Well, I probably would take uh, uh, a, a word from uh, the late John Wooden, uh, Coach Wooden, uh, who, who made this statement. He said, um, make each day your masterpiece Uh, there's a good challenge for us make each day your masterpiece so if you if you thank you so much thank you robert i'm so glad to have visited with you and appreciate your time thanks
1: thank you for tuning in to this episode brought to you by the power of intentional decisions that lead to massive action those aren't just buzzwords they're qualities that can help you take control of your life and build a successful business. To support you on this journey, we're offering you our most popular survey to help you establish a baseline. Visit enjoybizlife.com to check it out and take the first steps towards changing your life and business. We often make things more complicated than they need to be, losing sight of what's truly important. This tool will help you refocus on what matters most so that you can start doing the things you've always wanted to do, like spending quality time with loved ones, And if you enjoyed this episode please show us some love by liking subscribing or leaving a review but most importantly share it with someone who needs to hear it in our next episode muniz ahmed and robert talk about how our current sick care system isn't designed to help people with long-term metabolic illness the system treats symptoms not people she wants to change that and starts by listening to people listening to their bodies and looking at everything in their life, their diet, their activities, and working to stop the influence of poisons and the other negative environmental things from affecting people's health.